Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. A quick note before the show begins. The audio from these podcasts mostly come from live video YouTube streams on my channel. They may vary in quality from show to show and reference visual content not described to you, the listener. I'm sorry about that. If you prefer video to go with this audio, head over to youtube.com backslash from us, F-R-U-M-E-S-S for the whole enchilada. Who doesn't like a whole enchilada anyway? Good evening. How are you all doing tonight? Um, I'm having a good night. Tonight is a good night. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Um, we man, sometimes you 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 just wish for something to be real, something to be true, and then what does it do? It uh, it manifests itself. Um, it finds a way to manifest itself. You put things out into the universe. And then they they turn out to be real. Case in point, um, I have been saying for years that I just wanted Nicolas Cage to play Dracula in some kind of way. Case in point, let me, I posted this today on Twitter. By the way, I've been very active on Twitter lately. If you want to hear even more of my musings, I mean... You guys listen to enough of my musings as it is, but if you want more musings, then then go to Twitter. Here we go. I've been saying this for years. I have wanted this for a long time. Here, case in point, July 8th, 2015, Nicolas Cage as Dracula. And then again, two years ago, August 17th, rough, almost two years ago. August 17th, 2020. I'd love to see Cage play Drac. It's a shame his uncle, Francis Ford Coppola, didn't cast him. Would have been a magnum role. And here it is again, December 7th, 2020. If only they had replaced Keanu with Vampire's Kiss Cage. I am impotent with fear. I am impotent with fear. Be excellent. It would be excellent. So, and then... To see this photo, to see this photo today. Oh my God. Not only is it Nicolas Cage, not only is it Nicolas Cage's Dracula, it's like the best represent. It's like exactly how you would want Nicolas Cage to be Dracula. I mean, look at the rings, look at the red velvet suit. I mean, he just looks excellent. It, it really is just perfect. Sublime. True, truest sense. You know, we examine interviews on the channel all the time. And well, since Nicolas Cage has a brand new interview with GQ magazine talking about uh, Dracula and more, I figured why not give it a read through? We've done it before. You know, he did some press for that movie Pig over the summer. Everybody should see Pig. If you have not seen Pig, it is something that needs to be experienced. It's a, a fantastic, fantastic uh, character study. I, I would call it a, a character study, if you will. Really, really big fan of Pig. Um, so it's not like Nick doesn't do interviews all the time, but this one seems to be a big one. It's getting, he's getting a lot of, um, it's getting a lot of uh, press in the trades, I guess you would say. We have Rue Morgan in the house. Hi, Rue. He, Rue says that Nick Cage looks like Dave Anian. Yes, he most certainly does. 
I wonder if that was the intention. I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. I mean, give us jumpstart a whole uh, new universal horror monster universe with Nick Cage as Dracula. Let let Nick Cage's Dracula be the Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Iron Man, Tony Stark that jump-started the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but for the Universal. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tweet that too. It's going to be my very next tweet. I've been really, I'm really annoyed with uh, Facebook in general. I've just been really getting sick and tired of Facebook. Um, I will not be streaming to Facebook anymore for the foreseeable future. I, I will... I will check back. I don't know. I'm going to wait a time and then I will check back and try it again. I'm kind of done. I'm kind of done with uh, streaming over there for now, for now. Um, YouTube is the main is the main place anyway. So might as well just focus completely on YouTube. You can catch us on Twitter. You can catch us on Twitch or Spotify, all, all podcasting places. Every every single podcasting outlet, your Googles, your your Apples, your Spotify's. Um, okay, let's jump, let's jump right into it, shall we? Let's jump right into it. Oh, one last thing I will tell you, good news. It looks like the Black 29 music video is almost entirely, I'd say it's 99% in completion. Keep your eyes peeled for that whenever that's supposed to drop. And, um, yeah, let's just, let's dive into it, shall we? So here's our Nicholas Cage interview. Look at this. It's not just an interview. It's also a photo shoot, and it is the craziest photo shoot ever. He is wearing a, for those of you who are listening to this in podcast form, it's Nicholas Cage standing on a mountain of dirt um, underneath a bulldozer wearing a leather jacket duster. It's like a motorcycle leather jacket duster with leather pants, a snake belt buckle, and crazy sunglasses on a silver chain. It's exactly what you want to see Nick Cage wearing at all times. In fact, I would say that as I grow older and I, I plan to dress more eccentrically, I want to dress more eccentrically like Nick Cage. The, the title of this piece is called Nick Cage can explain it all by Gabriella Paella. I'm sorry if I butchered your name. The photography is by Jason Nacido. This is from March 22nd, 2020. Um, for GQ magazine, and it's getting, you know, what happens when when people do these big interview pieces, these profiles, then all this, the other outlets, they pick up little tidbits, sound bites, and write, you know, all sorts of articles based on the main piece of content. It's the sort of like the secondary content market. So we're seeing all that, but this is the source for all of that stuff. It begins, he is one of the he is one of our great actors. He's also one of the most inscrutable, most eccentric, and most misunderstood. I could totally agree. But as Cage makes his case here, every extraordinary thing about his wild work and life actually make perfect ordinary sense. I bet it does. 15 minutes from the Las Vegas strip into a tranquil gated community up a red brick driveway, past the palm trees that touch the Mojave Desert sky, through the veil that separates the astral plane, and here he is, the man they say gained and lost a $150 million fortune, who owned castles in Europe and the most haunted house in America, and the Shah of Iran's Lamborghini, 
and two albino king cobras and a rare two-headed snake who had to return his prized keyword here prized dinosaur skull upon learning it was stolen from mongolia i'm glad he did the right thing he returned the stolen mongolian uh dinosaur skull that was that was good uh who went on an epic quest for the actual holy grail yes he actually searched for the holy grail and who it when his singular fantastical life eventually comes to an end will be laid to eternal rest in a colossal white pyramid tomb in New Orleans. I've seen pictures of this tomb. It's fantastical. And if I never get the 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 sheer um, pleasure of meeting Nick Cage in some way, shape, or form, I will pay my pay my respects at that pyramid tomb, assuming that I live to see it. And he does not. Well, he has seen already. You know what I mean? That was very macabre. Didn't mean to go there. Nicholas Cage greets me at his door and he's wearing a Kung Fu suit. Now you have to wonder, does he do this stuff on purpose? Is he doing this? Like, does he know how excited he, on some level, he must be aware on how eccentric he is and sort of play up a little bit into it. Cause he realizes that there's this mythology around him. It's the, it's the same thing with Glenn Danzig, all these guys. He says, this is my wing Chun Kung Fu suit. You know what I love about Nick Cage and what I love about the, like, Glenn Dance, just all these guys in general, they are they are individuals. They are they embody the punk rock in the truest sense. Nick Cage is a punk rocker in his true sense because you know what? He's like he just tries to live his truest, most authentic self, and he can afford to do it because he is a world famous actor. You know, he's he's he has um you know he's well off despite his his financial troubles. He's well off. He's well-loved, and he can afford to just be this way. And so why not live this kind of life? And, you know, man, if there was a camera that just followed Nick Cage around 24-7 to create some sort of uh, character character piece, you know, documentary, I, I would just, I would eat that up. He says, this is my Wang Chung Kung Fu suit, he explains, waving me in and handing me a mug of coffee. I studied with my Sifu, Jim La. I mean, that's just so. It's clad in leather, holding a, a python or snake of some kind. Uh, the man who played Ghost Rider. His voice is low. Contem his voice is a low contemplative drawl that imbues every word with a sense of philosophical magnitude. That is the perfect description. I've heard him speak like that in interviews. To hear Nick Cage state an opinion about his preferred loungewear is to hear anyone else <laughs> reflect on the cosmos. I'm still decorating, so excuse me, he says, as we stroll through his home, an imposing mahogany cuckoo clock chimes in on the half hour. Mighty bronze dragons guard the hall. Lacquered arms holding torches sprout from eggplant purple walls <laughs> lighting the way. Look down and you have a Parisian rug ripped out of a Lisa Frank coloring book. Look up and you have a crystal chandelier and an original creature from the Black Lagoon poster. Straight ahead, a prince, specifically a huge photograph of Prince roller skating in hot pants and a Batman tank top. 
I, I just like I, like every word that I read, every sentence that I read through on this makes my heart flutter and sing. Um, just makes me so happy, like just like a smile from ear to ear happy. At the heart of the house is a charcoal drawing of his late father, August Floyd Coppola, who looms over the fireplace and everything else. He was a he was a famous composer, I believe. He was a composer, or he was something with music. And uh, and his brother is Francis Ford Coppola, Coppola uh, AFC and FFC. I love that he, you know, I would imagine that he would be really sort of tapped into Prince. There was that viral video, uncalled for viral video, if you ask me, of him uh, karaokeing to Purple Rain. And he's like really, he's really starting to feel some sense of catharsis as he's belting out Purple Rain's chorus. And you know something? It it just, it's raw. You don't karaoke someone. You don't film somebody when they're karaoke. Okay, maybe you film your friend when they're karaokeing. You don't film Nicolas Cage when he's doing karaoke. Let the man karaoke in his own privacy and i believe he said something along the lines of like i'm never going to do that again because you know people can't let me you know enjoy my privacy and he is he's so right dude Uh, it's so it's i understand that he's nicholas cage he's like a living walking icon it still doesn't give people license not to respect a private moment you know he's still a human being um that that always that frustrates me that really frustrates me when i see stuff like that Cage moved into the place last summer, but settled in Vegas back in 2006. He came for the state taxes. There are none. And we know that he's had some $6 million of IRS tax debt to, to, to wrestle with. Though he soon learned to love the small town feel and the ability to drop off the radar. In some ways, he said, this move saved me. His best friend rests nearby in a chair, sizing me up. He has a regal bearing of an emperor with an elegant mane of gray hair and wise golden eyes and a luxurious tail. Okay, yes, he is a cat, a Maine coon named Merlin. So it's funny is that he played Merlin in the Sorcerer's Apprentice and he um, <laughs> and his, he named his cat Merlin. Okay, I was totally wrong. Rue has Rue has corrected me here he says his father was a literature professor i don't know why i thought he did something with music that that just stuck out to me so so correction everybody he was a literature professor um he says about merlin he is so kind and so loving cage tells me more than once sometimes he puts his arm around me when he's sleeping and i think it's my wife and i go oh rico 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 i don't sorry if i'm butchering that rico and then it's Merlin, the owner. And, and here's the th- crazy thing. So so Cage just got married again, and he is expecting congratulations to Nick and Ryko. And what's an amazing observation about this is that Nick Cage seems to have children every 15 years. He spawns. His, his first son was born um, 30 years ago. I think his first son's about 30 years old, something like that. His... Um, his next son was born about 15, 16 years ago, something like that. And now um, he is, he's, I think he's has a daughter, they're having a daughter or something. Um, So it's like every decade and a half, like cage spawns again. I love that. I love that about him. Um, No, it's that's, that's really great. 
the um, he says the owner of his favorite local pet store died recently. So Cage scooped up some of the leftover animals stuck in limbo. That's nice. He's a couple of turtles, a fish with a bum eye that he felt bad for. They live in a in an array of aquariums, not just one aquarium, an array of aquariums lining his kitchen and bar counters. His Oscar is somewhere up there, too. He says, my job is to care for them, make sure they're happy and safe. He says, as we stop to watch a freshwater turtle wade around, eventually I'll have to donate him. Like I donated my two headed snake to the Audubon Zoo, which I think is probably for the best, right? Give them truly allow them to live their best life. That snake came to him in a dream, he claims, or rather he had been dreaming of two headed eagles. And then the very next day, a guy called to sell him. <laughs> to sell him a two-headed snake for $80,000. He he bought a two-headed snake for $80,000 because he had a dream of two-headed eagles. I just, after immediately, and I love this too, after immediately taking him up on the offer, Cage learned that to feed it, he had to put a spatula between the heads to prevent them from fighting over their food. And this was all way too much to handle. So the snake was rehomed to the zoo where it only recently died at the ripe old age of 14. So two-headed snake was able to live for 14 years. And, you know, I guess it's like, you know, rehoming like a mammal is like sort of like harder than rehoming a, a reptile or a fish that don't really care for humans as much as, say, you know, a dog or a cat might. Um, so I, I'm glad that he made the responsible choice to rehome uh, a reptile that needed special care, despite paying $80,000 for it. And wow, that's just all that is just so much to process. These moments can happen with cage when you suddenly find your spirit levitating an inch outside of your body while you're locked in a description of a situation that could not have happened to anyone else on the planet. And isn't this what I expected? that I would come to his enchanted lair and talk about snakes and skulls and other oddities, maybe getting injured by a samurai sword or something in the process, uh, though hopefully nothing too grievous so that I could still tell you about the snakes and the skulls and the other oddities. This is fantastically written, fantastically written. When I, what I encountered instead was something more surprising. A human being who has been to some serious depths, much of it public, much more of it not, and emerged with a new, better understanding of himself and his life. He has spent recent days this winter, mostly inside, reading scripts and watching movies and preparing to welcome a baby with his wife of a year, uh, Rico or Rico, I apologize again for the pronunciation, Shibata, Sh Shibata. Again, apologies for the for the phonetic for the phonetic pronunciation they have their names picked out already akira francesco it's like the perfect blending of italian japanese for a boy and lennon augie for a girl wow augie was my father's nickname and my uncle uh the director francis ford coppola has decided to change his name to france francesco he says excitedly showing me the two-month ultrasound on his phone i think it's so sweet it's like a little Adamame, a little bean. That's wonderful, man. That is wonderful. And the names are wonderful too, especially Akira Francesco. I love that. 
just like taking two cultures and just not cult, whatever, you know, ethnicity, name, names, Italian, Japanese sounding names and fusing them together. Uh, we will settle in his sitting room and, and he has a sitting room. People, people that have vast houses, like probably what Nick Cage has, they have sitting rooms where you just sit and talk symposiums, if you will where over many mugs of coffee, that's cool, I will try to square the sensitive, self-aware person in front of me with the fairly ridiculous myth that exists in our culture's collaborate, collective imagination. And he will, in turn, explain everything to me that is seemingly inexplicable about Nicolas Cage. First, though, I wanted to meet his talking crow. <laughs> his name is Hugin, and Cage says it was love at first sight. He swoops around a massive geo geodesic dome. So we inch up to the edge and peer inside. Hugin has gleaming black feathers all over except for his chest, which is an unexpected shock of pure white. He flies up on a perch where he can scrutinize us at eye level. I hold my breath. Hugin, Hugin, this is uh, Gabriella, Cage says. Hi. Hi, Hugin. Hi, Hugin says. Uh, here's some more photos of Nicolas Cage. This is Nicolas Cage wearing another motorcycle leather jacket. He has a penchant for them. I've seen many photos of him wearing these leather jackets. I, you know, listen, I'm all about the le leather is heritage, man. It's, 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 it's the best. It's the best. And Cage, he just looks great, man. He really does. What a, what a champion. I love, I love the placement of his rings. That jacket costs almost seven grand. I wonder if he gets to keep his wardrobe when he's done modeling it. I'm sure he does. In the sitting room, I see him clearly for the first time. He's 58 now. Wow, he's having a kid at 58 years old. It's crazy. Tall and still slender with a with close-cropped dark hair. His face, his face, which we've watched in one form or another for practically his entire life, has been softened by age. It is a kaleidoscope, a minuscule change of expression or lighting, and one of his characters will jump out at you. The hot-headed, wooden-handed baker in Moon, from Moonstruck, the alcoholic screenwriting scraping rock bottom and leaving Las Vegas, the burnt-out paramedic bringing out the dead, the affordable, the affable ex-con raising Arizona, the other affable ex-con in Con Air, the good cop, it could happen to you, the bad cop, bad lieutenant, port of call, New Orleans, one of my favorite roles, both the heron and the vil and both the villain and the hero who have swapped faces with the aid of cutting edge 90 super science face off uh, and Charlie Coffin from adaptation robust eyebrows frame the hardest working pair of blue eyes in the business. I love her describing his face. There's a spiritual conflict in Nick's eyes and his face. Martin Scorsese told me it's visible. It's open and it translates into an overall sense of unease. The conflict is an inner questioning. Will I be redeemed? Have I done enough? And he's worked with every single like iconic director in the business. Everybody hasn't worked with Spielberg. Hasn't worked with Tarantino Two collaborations. I'd love to see. Redemption does seem to have arrived for Cage at long last after falling millions of dollars into debt and then working tirelessly to dig himself out. He has made many movies, too many movies. It's never enough movies. Quiet. It's not, it's not too many movies that only reinforce the idea that Cage was maybe a little insane. Yes, 
He must be. And yet, through the 12 years that followed the death of his beloved father, the turmoil of a near bankruptcy and the big studios turning their backs on him, Cage has stayed committed to delivering flashes of his highly personal brilliance in smaller projects. It's true, man. I, I like I, I almost get verklempt thinking about it. It's so friggin' true. Like in 2018's Mandy as a bereaved lumberjack in the woods who's lost everything he loves, or last year's Pig as a bereaved chef in the woods who's lost lost everything he loves. And in doing so, he's reminded people what they've always known. Nicholas Cage is one of our greatest actors. It's true, man. It's true. And he starred in uh, uh, over 120 movies. Only three of them have been sequels. Okay? Three of them. What does that tell you? Um, and again, we say this in every Nicholas Cage broadcast that we do. Nicholas Cage is like tofu. He's going to taste like whatever you season him with. There's no such thing as a bad Nicholas Cage performance. Um, I already know what one of the quotes is going to be in this GQ article where he says that he's always committed to the roles he does. And I believe it, man. Look at him here. Look at him. There's that motorcycle leather jacket, like trench coat duster, leather pants, big sunglasses, this weird gold, weird silver chain and a snake belt buckle. Just the, the best eccentricity you can imagine. You know, um, there's nothing. I'll tell you something. There is nothing lamer than watching someone who grows old, older and older and older, trying to maybe like pretend like they're younger than they really are in the sense of hold, hold on now. Hold on now. I'm not saying that it's lame that old people act young. I'm saying that when you don't realize your age, that's what I mean in the sense of like acknowledging that you are this, even if you choose to act like this, like, you know what I'm thinking of? You ever see the movie mean girls and like the mom, like dresses like her teenage daughter thinking that she's one of the girls. It's like in a world like that, be a Nicholas cage dress. However you want be as weird as an eccentric as you want. It's way more authentic than say, trying to chase a trend. That's what I mean when you're maybe out of touch and trying to be in touch by chasing some sort of fashion trend and trying to be younger than you really are. And I just think that Nicholas Cage like finds his vitality through just marching to the beat of his own drum and dressing however he wants and doing whatever he wants. And I just, I think it's great, man. I, I think it's just like fantastic. It's beautiful, you know? Um, it's in this moment and context and to which past and present and real and fake with will all collide in his new film, the unbearable weight of massive talent in 2019 cage received a letter from director Todd Gormican with a proposition Gormican and writer Kevin Eaton had just finished a screenplay that they wanted Cage to consider. He would be playing a character named Nick Cage. This Nick Cage is a washed-up action star down on his luck who gets roped into a CIA plot to take down an international arms dealer. The film uses de-aging technology also to also render Cage into a second character, a younger, wilder, uncannily smooth version of himself who goes by Nicky. Cage had some qualms about spelunking into his psyche for this. Tom always said that the neurotic Nick Cage is the best Nick Cage, Cage tells me. I say, it's not all neurotic, Tom. 
I, I can't, I, I don't have a good Nick Cage. You know, there's like a, there's a, there's like a Jimmy, uh, what's it called? Um, Jimmy Stewart. There's like a little bit, he is like, kind of like a little, he's kind of like the, the next version of Jimmy Stewart a little bit in the way he talks. He says, I mean, I have very quiet moments at home, just sitting on a couch or looking at CNN or reading a Murakami book. He feared he would be making a joke out of himself, and he definitely didn't love that the character is a narcissistic and aloof father. But he was ultimately intrigued by the chance to remind audiences of his comedy chops and even signed on as a producer of the film which will be distributed by Lionsgate. If the big studios no longer have faith in Nicolas Cage, the actor, then apparently it had spades for Nicolas Cage, the persona. Here's another great shot. I mean, just look at him, dude. Look at him in his white suit, flicking dirt, cool ass shoes. What a G, just what a champion. That persona has been with us since Cage's career began to accelerate in the late 80s and the early 90s. It was, at first, a monster of his own making. Taking the press tour for the 1990 David Lynch fever dream wild at heart, when Cage fronted, front handspringed and karate kicked his way onto a British talk show, Wogan, before fully peeling off his T-shirt and finishing the interview sweaty and bare-chested under his leather jacket. Terry Wogan's first question, do you get carried away? In unbearable weight, Nikki is styled after that particular appearance. Nick would tell us, I look back and I hate that guy, Gormican said. I've seen that. That's on YouTube. It is a great interview if you have not seen it. Definitely worth checking out. Cage is a little bit more circumspect with me. It's more that he doesn't want to be that guy anymore hasn't wanted to since his first child at 26. Cage has two sons, Weston, who is 31, and Kalel, who is 16. So, yes, every roughly every 15 years, Cage spawns. Uh, and he named his son, his his second son is named after Superman. Uh, Kryptonian name of Superman is Kalel. I had some moments, I had some moments that I went off and did some wild stuff, but a lot of that was by design. He says, I think many people in the public got swept up with the idea of me being kind of a wild madman, which was fun in the beginning. But after Cage became one of the most bankable leading men from the mid 90s to the mid 2000s, he started to lose control of his persona. First, there was YouTube and then one social media platform after another. When his career and finances started to suffer around 2010, the Internet went into overdrive. His performances, which were which, while colorful, were at least mostly tuned to the movies that they were in, were plucked out of context and spliced together into Nicolas Cage freakout montage or 40 clips of Nicolas Cage screaming in one minute or Nicolas Cage ultimate freakouts uncensored version, uncensored version. Millions of views later, a life on screen was distilled into farce. So, you know. What, look at his rings, dude. I mean, those are so cool. The way he just, this is what I'm talking about. What I was saying before, like this idea of like not trying to like chase youth trends and trying to make yourself feel younger, like, but instead just like dressing however you want and not caring what anybody thinks and just like, just aging. Like I want to age like Nicolas Cage. That's basically what I'm trying to say. And I just, I really admire his style and his tenacity and 
his individualism. That's what I'm trying to say. I just think he's the coolest dude ever. I really do. I really do. And I'm sure there's like some dark stuff about him that I probably wouldn't want to know about, but whatever. I mean, who we're all human beings here, right? Um, the, the, those, those, those montages are fun to watch the comedic montages. We've all seen them, but the thing is, um, they really do take his performances out of context because cage has so much dynamic rage and it gets lost in, in the goofiness. Look at him there. Look at him with a zipper on his head, all caged out. He's wearing, okay. So he's wearing a hoodie with like this cool blazer. What a dude, just what a dude. He became somewhat of a meme Arboros. I've never heard that word, Arboros. What does Arboros mean? We're just going to look that up real quick. Looking up our Arboros. A circular symbol de depicting a snake, or less commonly a dragon swallowing its tail. Ah, the circle, the snake eating its own tail uh, as an emblem of wholeness or infinity. So he became a meme snake eating its own tail, a meme Arboros. The platforms would go out hunting for Nick Cage being outrageous, and they would find him, say, talking about doing mushrooms with his cat on Letterman or telling a reporter about the time he was stalked by a mime, which would only make them want to go out hunting for Cage being even more outrageous. Mandy co-writer Alan Stewart on told me a story that while they were filming in the Belgian woods in 27 uh, they told them a story about when they were filming in the Belgian woods in 2017. He had asked cage, what had he gotten up to over the weekend? Usually the answer was that the actor had stayed in watching esoteric world cinema and cage has such a language for world cinema. I mean, the guy is so well watched when it comes to movies and well read in books. He says, so, Normally, he would stay in and watch esoteric world cinema. But in this case, Cage had flown to Kazakhstan for a film for a film festival. A photo of Cage in traditional Kazakh dress ended up going viral and, and then was inserted into hundreds of other absurd contexts. That must get a little frustrating after a while. Nick was like, well, well, I went to Kazakhstan and I became a fucking meme. Stuart on recalls. Then he says, hey, why don't you take a picture of me right now in this forest with blood on my face? Post it online and we'll make a real meme. So he's like kind of like in on it. Like, I just love that. Like, he doesn't take himself. Unlike Glenn Danzig, who takes himself so seriously. Nick Cage doesn't take himself very seriously at all in, in that kind of way. And I love that. I love that. Although here uh, to, to counterbalance the point I just made. Cage took umbrage when he first saw the photoshopping and the supercuts all those years ago, but then more or less came to accept it. So at first he didn't like it, but then he grew to accept it. You, you can't just go against that, which is, I wish, <laughs> I wish Glenn Danzig would, would embrace that more as well. You can't go against that, which is, he says, shrugging. In all fairness, the internet lore has in its own way made him more beloved than ever. It's very true. We, we had a cage as they as they say, in the last 10, 12 years. Seldom has an actor inspired such a rabid, reverent following. His fans worship at the altar of the Reddit One True God subreddit. Oh, man, I got to check out that subreddit. I didn't know that existed. And get his face tattooed on their bodies and attend day-long 
Nick Cage movie marathons, after which they go home to rest their weary heads on multiple versions of Nick Cage novelty sequin pillows. I've seen those. Nick Cage went to one of these at the Alamo Draft House down in Austin, Texas, and read, did like a cold reading of Edgar Allan Poe's Telltale Heart, and it's on YouTube, and it must be watched. It's absolutely phenomenal. That doesn't mean he's entirely comfortable with where his public persona exists in 2022. For a while, Saturday Night Live had a reoccurring segment featuring Andy Samberg as a gleefully psychotic version of the actor. Cage Gamely appeared alongside him in 2012. It was great. That was a great appearance, too. Referencing National Treasure with the punchline, we're going to have a three-way with the Declaration of Independence. That terrible Nick Cage impression. I'm sorry. Now he says the show is asking him to host this spring, but he's not so sure. I feel like saying, well, why don't you call Andy Samberg? I mean, I hear he's available, which would also be really great. Here is Nick Cage in these really weird diamond-shaped sunglasses. One might say this is his take on John Lennon from 1970 to 1980. So really, John Lennon from 1967 to 1980. Others might say this is, this is Nick Cage doing Dr. Octopus. This is Nick Cage's Doc Ock. I love this Nick Cage over to the right where he's wearing this weird sort of like golden floral print. It's like an Edwardian coat, you know, like what the uh, Ted's Teddy boys used to wear, like a, like the, 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 the Ted's in the 50s, the subculture in, in England, working class England. Uh, it's just but it's like really beautiful floral sort of print on it. And I feel like this really represents Nick Cage. And, you know, again, not that we really need to comment on it, but I think Nick Nick Cage lost most of his hair a long time ago or must must not have that much hair on his head he wears these sort of um he wears these very interesting hair pieces i i think allegedly because i don't actually know allegedly he wears these hair pieces and you want to know something he's so tasteful about his hair i think personally the way that he chooses to you know um uh sport different pieces uh much like John Travolta, actually, his co-star from Face Off, they both are very tasteful about that. Uh, I just really, I really appreciate um, Cage Cage's. Whereas most people kind of look at that as like might look at look down upon doing something like that. I just love that Cage does that. Yes, Min uh, Minister of Darkness. I agree. Let's let's see Nick Cage play a werewolf next. I would I would love that. Would absolutely love that. And as you can see here, he has his his rings on. His his leather pants with he has like they're like fringe at the side and then he has these these leather boots. Um, I ask him if he sees the unbearable weight as a chance to seize control over the memeified version of himself and get the last word. That's a good way to that was a good theory theoretically that was a good way to put it. How could how could anything possibly top? Nicholas Cage playing Nicholas Cage. That's 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 the snake eating the tail, as the most Nick cage thing ever happened sorry how could anything possibly top nick cage playing nick cage as the most nick cage thing ever to happen <clears throat> there was an element in it i think it was a way of embracing what had happened to me he says he even pushed the envelope further at times in one scene cages young and old make out with each other wow that was nick's idea gormican told me he was supposed to kiss him on the cheek and he was like oh i'd like to french kiss that's amazing so nick cage literally makes out with himself which is also like sort of like an artistic statement about like 
you know, uh, being in love with yourself or being full of yourself or like the ego, I think a little bit, which I, I think is a really great too. But even if Cage has grown willing to participate in the fervor, much of it remains elusive to him. I still don't really fully understand what the fashion is with my face or facial expressions that happen in these memes. I still, I still don't really understand the what. I still don't really understand what the fascination is with my face or facial expressions that happens in these me. I'm sorry. I wish I could do a better impression. I can't. He says the studio is trying to push this promotional Walmart campaign around unbearable weight. He tells me photoshopping his face on posters for other Lionsgate movies from John Wick to Terminator 2. I'm like, well, but why? Kate says just like, what is it? So here, watch now. Cage responds to fans on the internet. What is this? I didn't know about this. Is he going to play? Oh, ooh. This is interesting. Let's see. I think we have to wait for this ad to finish playing. Uh, Just Addiction says... I think Glenn takes himself too seriously when he's not in control of whatever it is. Yeah, very true. I mean, he's appeared in Aqua Teen Hunger Force in Portlandia where he had some semblance of control and therefore he was able to have a sense of humor. That's a great point. It's when he's not in control that he can't laugh at himself. I agree. I agree. It's a perfect way to state it. Um, Biz says, why? Who thought this was a good idea? I'm not saying he's a bad actor. I just don't think he's good fit for this particular role unless it's a parody then carry on oh he, he i think he will prove you very wrong you'll you'll see you'll see you missed nick cage all right i'm going to rewind it real quick i really want to play this this is interesting by the way let post in the comments if you're watching and you feel like commenting what um who would you want to see who would you want to see nick cage re, uh, recast what what roles would you want to see nick cage recast i already said one earlier replacing Nick Cage with Keanu Reeves in uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula or Gary Oldman even. And we're, we're already getting that as well. All right, ready? I'm going to play this and uh, hopefully you can hear it. I am not on any social media. I, 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 it's antithetical to my beliefs, but here I am doing this. <laughs> yes. Hello, GQ. I'm Nicholas Cage. And today I'm going undercover it's choppy, on isn't the it? internet. So he's, he's not actually, actually on social it's, media. It's Nick Cage. That's amazing. There is a subreddit devoted to you. Have you heard of this? I heard about it. I did That's hear amazing. that Reddit has a sub something about me. You know what it's called? Yeah, I, I've heard about it. I'm not going to say it. He's not going <laughs> to say it. That would be arrogant. He's what so movie charming. role would have been improved by casting Nicolas Cage? I can't answer that either because that wow. would be arrogant. He's so me humble. To determine what I would have been better at than somebody else. Next. TIL, that Nicolas Cage spent 150 wow. million on a 70 million year old dinosaur skull. There's the skull I bought at an auction and wow. I bought it legally. Here's the MacGuffin. When the Mongolian government <laughs> said that they needed it back, I gave it to him, but I never got my money back. So somebody yeah, that's at the not fair. should be in jail. Yeah. T-I-L, Nicolas Cage and Gary Oldman were the original choices to play Harry Stop and Lloyd. Stop it. Really? I didn't know Th that. I don't believe it. I thought it was Jim from the beginning. I know Jim wanted me to be in it with him, but I wanted to do a little movie called Leaving Las Vegas instead. 
Jim Carrey and Nicolas Cage are good friends, by the way. In the world, have sounded like though. Oh, do it, Nick. Annoying sound in the world. Nick, do it, 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 do it. I have to hear that. I don't know how to answer that. Yes, you do. In 1997, oh, Tim wow. Burton wanted to make a Superman like, movie starring yeah, Nicolas Cage. Why can't they just make this now? Hmm. Would it Why matter not? how much time I appeared as the character? No, you can it do might it still now, be a Dave. chance. Posted. Wikipedia. Well, Wikipedia is something Wikipedia that people page. go in and they change uh, any way they want. So I'm not sure all the facts are true in Wikipedia, but at this 15 years crazy. old, he tried to commit his uncle Francis Ford Coppola to give him a screen test, telling him, I'll show you acting. That's in fact, yeah, that did happen. That's true, wow. And it was met by silence in the car. Next, for Birdie, in order to physically feel the pain of his character, Cage removed two teeth without any anesthesia. Stop yeah, it. Anesthesia, yeah, that, that's a fact, but so you don't think what? I'm completely out of my mind. I had to pull the baby teeth out anyway. The timing of it worked out. It made me seem oh like Oh my God, I never heard. The truth is it was something I had to do anyway. Next. That's amazing. In February 2011, he realized that he had developed his own method of acting, which he described as Nouveau Shamanic. He yep. noted at some point, I'll have to write a book. Nouveau Shamanic yes. is something I came up with because I like the French sound Nouveau. I thought it had a kind of a fun sound. Which just means new. I had read yeah. a book called The Way of Weird by Brian Bates, and he was putting forth the notion that all actors, whether they know it or not, are recruiting the same instincts wow. of the early shamans in the old village. So it's new shamanism. Hundreds and thousands of years ago. And I like that idea, the idea of exploring that's beautiful. your imagination. So that's where that came from. And have you written the book yet? No. This is awesome. YouTube. Now he's on YouTube. <laughs> Whoever thought that Nicolas Cage would play as Spider-Man? Well, Spider-Man Noir was great. I really enjoyed playing that Yeah, part. he was great in Spider-Man Noir. I liked Man it Noir. because I was able to bring some of my own personal He's responding to these actual the comments, man. actors of the 30s and 40s like Bogart and Cagney that were in all those noir films. So that was fun I mean, that's me. just so crazy. And they let me do it, which is unusual. Replied. That was a shame that this we didn't get that. This is the greatest casting of all. Yeah, but that, that was something that didn't happen. This uh, Nicolas Cage's Joe Exotic, and it's Would probably just as well. It seemed like a fun character to play, but I have nothing in common with Joe Exotic. Cora. But that doesn't matter. How did Nicolas Cage think about the decision to name his Oh, son, he's going to answer Cora that? Is a Hebrew name, and it means voice of God. It's also from a very famous character. Oh, I think it's my a beautiful name, God. so that's why. It's Hebrew? In Ghost Rider, Nicholas Cage's abs are real. They are real. And that's why I will never work out that hard again. Wow. Because nobody wanted to believe they were real. I'm learning so much in six CGI, minutes that I know. Wow. So what's the point? Kal-El is Hebrew. Has Nicholas Cage so ever sense. turned down a movie offer all the time? I know that's not the urban myth you want it to be, but I yeah. turn him down all the time. Oh, man. I, Twitter. I respect him so much, man. Look at him. Tattoo face-off, Nicholas Cage versus John Travolta, winner. Oh, it's got to be Travolta. It has to be Travolta. He's so cool, man. Speed round, fave Nicholas Cage meme. This is amazing. I kind of like the vampire one right off the bat, this early picture of me. I like that because it's an early black and white picture. I think it looks pretty cool. <laughs> Look, they're actually responding. What am I going to do about it? It's there. 
What am I gonna do about it? It's there. It's so good. I have good. no relationship with TikTok whatsoever. I'm enjoying Nicholas this Cage so much. plays Nick Cage. What if Nick Cage didn't get the role? <laughs> well, I think that would have been fascinating to see someone else play me, which was my first yeah. suggestion. But they that didn't would have been fascinating. For that. They said they had to have the real me, whatever that means. Posted. Okay, that's it. I'm signing off. You know he didn't really write all that stuff. They wrote it for him, even if he answered those questions. That was actually, that was really, really cool. That was really, really cool. And you know what's interesting? The L, that's a Lamed at the end of Cal L. Oh, my God. I think at least. I mean, that's crazy. So, he, I mean, wow. It's just mind-boggling because I. it's so, so obviously... It's so obviously, um, what you call it? Oh, God, stop it, stop it, stop it. It's so obviously Hebrew, and I just never even thought of it in that way. Cal L, that makes perfect sense. Um, and Superman is supposed to be a parable for Moses anyway. It's the story of Moses is the story of Superman. So there you go. And in terms of who would we replace in our castings? Oh, this is so stellar. Right off the bat, Rue Morgue is saying, replace Tom Hanks in Castaway. Absolutely. Could not agree more. No, I like Keanu, man. He has a he has he has a good he, he he's a good actor, man. I mean, like, you know, he's fun. I like Keanu Reeves. Wild at Heart will always be my top favorite, says Cam. Wild at Heart's great. Dagger wants to know what happened to Foodie Confidential Dagger. It's been, I mean, why, 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 why do you care about it? It's not, I mean, it was just a show. It was just a show. It didn't work out. We, we stopped doing it. I, I didn't even think, I mean, it wasn't even getting that many views, you know? I mean, not that any of this stuff gets views, but like, you know, I don't know. It just wasn't, wasn't really doing its thing, I think. Um, so when Nicolas Cage was five years old and still known as Nicolas Kim Coppola, Cage went to visit his composer, Grant, ah, uh, Rue, you know what it was? It, his grandfather was a composer, Carmine. He spotted a tray with a portrait painted on it and asked his grandfather who it was. Carmine said it was a composer named Beethoven. And I said, oh, was he any good? Cage recalls, he said, oh, he was about as good as I am. I went home and told my father that. He was furious. Carmine may not have been Beethoven, but he went on to win the Oscar for the score to The Godfather Part Two, which his son Francis directed and his daughter Talia Shear starred in. I did not know that. I did not know that he was the composer for The Godfather Part Two. Huh. And he won an Oscar for it as well. So Cage's grandfather is an Oscar winner. Uh, his uncle is an Oscar winner. And he is an Oscar winner. The Coppolas are a family of Oscar winners. As a kid, Cage horsed around on that set with his cousins. Cage came into the world in Long Beach, California, to this remarkable, remarkably erudite. I, I can't. What does erudite mean? Erudite. Erudite. Look up erudite. Let's take a look. Uh, having or showing great knowledge or learning, an accomplished family that would inedibly, inedibly, indelibly shape and influence him but none more than his father august a professor of comparative literature he was always the smartest man in the room when he walked into any room cage says he knew it and he made sure that we knew it august spoon-fed his boy fellini and german expressionalist cinema 
while raising him and his two older brothers mostly alone. Cage's mother, a former dancer and choreographer named Joy Vogelsang, was institutionalized for schizophrenia and depression for much of his youth. I did not know that. His parents divorced when he was 12. That, oh, my God. That is so sad. That must have been so hard on a kid, man. Cage would watch his mother talk to the walls and absorb it as surrealistic inspiration. I could have gone the other way, he says. Instead, I looked at her and I thought, well, this is really interesting. If his father was responsible for fermenting a love of film, and it's interesting, too, is that Nick Cage is definitely a German expressionist actor in the nouveau shamanism that he does, which he calls his version of 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 German expressionism is Western Kabuki. Right. And um, and you could see it, man. And I guess that that all came from his pop. Um, What's up, Walter White from New Zealand? We're just talking about. Nick Cage, and I'm going to take this moment real quick to talk about RiotStickers.com. Riot Stickers is our proud sponsor. If you look in the description of this video, you will see that we are running a promotion where you can get 50% off uh, 53-inch by 3-inch stickers that normally retail for $59, but you get them for 50% off uh, with the promo code FROMIS. For the price of $29.50, go to the link in the description. We have a nifty difty video, and we have a contest coming up as well, which we'll be telling you more about very soon. Let's watch our little less than... That's riotstickers.com. Go visit the website. As you can see right behind me, this wonderful banner was done by riotstickers.com. And I can't wait to unveil our contest to you. Walter White thinks it's a good deal. It most certainly is. Now back to our regularly scheduled programming. Uh, so Nick Cage, his mother, was institutionalized for schizophrenia and depression. And it, I mean, man, that must have been tough. And Nick Cage processed it um, in, you know, went one way as opposed to another way, which might not have um, might not have worked. Angus says that uh, every time I hear this song, it is stuck in my head for days. Great marketing. And I got to tell you, I never highlight these comments, but I do say I love that. I love that, you know, Rue and Dagger, they always have this back and forth like Rue, Dagger. And I love it. I love it in the comments. I love seeing those comments. And I see it here as well with Walter White, you know, and he says, hey, Rue, how you hope you're doing well, because these guys see each other in the comments. And I just love that that Rue is um, in New Jersey. Right, Rue. And and Walter White is in New Zealand and that these two guys like 
there's like this mutual place where they meet from time to time when they decide to tune in and watch the show and comment like that. It just, I don't know. I love that. I love seeing that stuff. And I'm glad you think the marketing is great, Angus. I think it's fantastic marketing. That's all a testament to Sharpie Riot creating a song that lives in our head for days, for years, for months, for weeks. If Nicolas Cage's father was responsible for fermenting a love of film, his uncle's stature in the industry exposed him to a fascinating new Hollywood millennium. Hanging out after a screening of Apocalypse Now, he found himself face to face with Dennis Hopper in a cowboy hat, asking Cage what kind of music he liked. He said, I said, I like classical music. He said, oh, you got to listen to The Love for the Three Oranges by Prokofiev. Prokofiev, I guess Russian, he says, or Slavic of some kind. He says he was so interested in me listening to that music. He always seemed very avuncular to me. That's something I've noticed in a lot of Nicolas Cage interviews. Nicolas Cage has such a rich, vast vocabulary. That means relating to an uncle, avuncular. I get it, avuncular. That's amazing. What a crazy word. He says he seemed very avuncular to me, meaning like he seemed very uncle to me. I guess you wouldn't say uncle, you'd say avuncular. I hope there's a time where I get to use that in a sentence. Francis cast him in a few early roles, but wanting to shake off accusations of nepotism cage engaged in his first act act of deliberate myth making and it's true man that you you know i have so much respect for nick cage yes everybody knew he was a coppola even after he changed his name but the fact that he wanted to shake off accusations of nepotism right out of the gate when so many people you know and the thing is if you are born into a family of a famous name you have the right to use that famous name no one can take that people can accuse you of nepotism but it doesn't change the fact that you don't you don't have the right to use your own name everybody has a right to their name you're born with the name it's your name to keep um whether your dad is bernie madoff ooh, cringe um or and that's nothing against bernie's son although i don't know if he was involved with that but very sad, tragic story. Um, whether your father is like Bernie Madoff or maybe Trump, or you are part of the Coppola family, you know what I mean? Like you, you, you have a name and you, you rightfully can use it. But Cage, who wanted to really stand out on his own, um, engaged in his first act of deliberate myth making by not only taking a different last name. He took his last name from a comic book that he read, an obscure one called Luke Cage Power Man. Luke Cage is the power man, but he mostly goes by Luke Cage now. He took the last name Cage. He changed his last name inspired by the avant-garde composer John Cage and the black superhero Luke Cage. Okay, so I guess John Cage was also part of the inspiration. He's just talking about how he loved classical music. As a young man, he had a particular notion of himself that he was determined to prove that I had something, and it wasn't simply because I was born into a Coppola family. It was because I thought I had a unique way of feeling things and looking at things. He would go on to spend the next 40 years of his life on film sets. It can be hard to, it, it can be hard to imagine 
any other reasonable outcome. Nick is a born actor, said Oliver Stone, who directed him in World Trade Center and Snowden. Isn't that crazy? He's worked with Oliver Stone, Martin Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola, David Lynch, Werner Herzog, John Woo, uh, Michael Bay. I mean, just every notable director you can possibly imagine. Uh, Ridley Scott. If he wasn't doing this, I don't know what he would do. I think he would still be acting. He'd be acting no matter what. He would never stop acting, I think. If Nick hadn't been a movie star, he would have been a president. His pig co-star, Alex Wolf, told me. He's just this magic orb that was supposed to do something magical. Wow, I love that quote. He was just this magical orb that was supposed to do something. He was just this magic orb that was just supposed to do something magical. In his early 20s, he did just about everything he could to put himself on the map. While filming the experimental 1988 horror comedy Vampire's Kiss about a delusional yuppie literary agent named Peter Lowe who thinks he's a vampire, he famously insisted on eating a live cockroach for a shot. He feels bad about the bug now. He infused Peter with qualities from both parents, talking to the walls like his mother, but in his father's mid-Atlantic accent. This is still his favorite movie he's ever made. So we've done a whole episode about what mid-Atlantic accents are. They're not actually real accents. They are, it is a fake way. It's like a fake generalized, like British accent. Um, it's kind of like Hollywood, California's, no, that's the wrong word. Not Hollywood, California. It is, it's like upper crust. It's like upper crust American prep school uh trying to homogenize the the english accent by calling it the mid-atlantic accent and you know cage takes inspiration like for instance his character in raising arizona is is woody woodpecker you know what i mean like he takes all these things so for that movie he took his father and his mother are both in there and it's a batshit it's a batshit role. Everybody needs to see Vampire's Kiss if they have not. He says it's still his favorite movie he's ever made. That's fan, that's fa fantastic. And at one point, I forgot what it was. Something was supposed to happen with a bat that did not, but he did actually eat a cockroach for that movie. So adamant was he on pushing boundaries that he initially balked at doing Moonstruck because it seemed too safe of a romantic comedy. To be clear, this is a movie in which his character is introduced to the sweatily waving around to which his character is introduced sweatily waving around his wooden hand and bellowing bring me the big knife now looking at it it's definitely one of my favorite movies i made he says plus i like the presentation plus i like the presentation of the italian american as a loving family not just always the gangster i, I just oh god here he is in a classic ensemble. Look at this. He's wearing this very sort of uh, almost like a 1940s getup, right? He's got the um, I won't uh, I will call it the the what the tank top undershirt. There is a pejorative term that's used um, frequently as a colloquialism, but we won't use it here because um, uh, it's not right. The uh, we have slacks. He has these slacks. He's wearing a trench coat. He's wearing this like this. Actually, I think that's like a leather button down shirt. Uh, and if he wasn't wearing a leopard print belt, you would think he was straight out of the 1940s. It's like a, like a star, an A-lister a movie star from Hollywood in the 1930s. And then over here, we have a more traditional cage. Once again, dressed in leather, wearing some sort of long leather-ish jacket duster. 
but um, different, different. Uh, right before he won an Oscar in 1996 for his raw and intimate portrayal of a man intent on drinking himself to death in the $3.5 million budget leaving Las Vegas, a fairy godmother by the name of Jerry Brockheimer cast him opposite of Sean Connery in The Rock and sent him hurtling along on a run of popcorn movies. He's just wonderful, Brockheimer told me. You never quite know where, what he's going to do. Even when the budgets had a few extra zeros tacked on for car chases and explosions, Cage would still sometimes try to channel the geist, the, the gist, the geist, the geist, the geist, like poltergeist, the ghost, the geist of the German silent cinema. And you can see that in his character, um, uh, Stanley Goodspeed. Stanley Goodspeed, you you see a little bit of that geist. Good night, Cam Chaft. He's he's clocking out. He says, "Peace out, Frumis and family. Time to catch some Z's." Good night. Rue says they all recognize Cage's talent. Yeah, totally, dude. Totally. He blossomed into a giant move. Oh, oh. He says Cage laughs while remembering when he first let it rip as Caster Troy in in Face Off. John Travolta was like, oh, we're going to do that kind of acting. My favorite John Travolta line in that movie. Wee! What a predicament. Love it. Love it. What time is it at yours, bro? Um, I don't know where for you, Walter, you're already, I think you're time traveling. You're already in Thursday, correct? For us, it's 9.44 p.m. on Wednesday night. So I think it's sometime Thursday. Maybe it's actually 9 o'clock Thursday your time. Right. You're like a full 24 hours ahead of us, which is crazy to think that Walter Walter White is a time traveler from the future. Uh, he blossomed into a giant movie star, our most Baroque, sad eyed movie star, uh, uh, our, our most Baroque, sad eyed movie star, but a movie star. Nonetheless, the director, David Gordon Green, who worked with Cage on two, 2013's Joe, uh, told me about a time the two of them stopped at a roadside biker bar in the South. A dude rolls up while we were having a drink and you expect him to say, Hey man, I'm a big face-off fan or con airs the shit. And the guy just goes, man, I just have to tell you how much I love captain Corelli's mandolin with his missteps in the past decade. It's easy to overlook the fact that cage has found himself ahead of the culture. Vampires kiss made zero money, but now it's a cult classic moonstruck over three decades after its release. You can't throw a stone in Brooklyn without hitting a millennial woman horny for Ronnie Kamamari. Kamarari. All of his exaggerated and overblown performances, a recent trend piece in the New York Times pointed out that actors have been eschewing naturalism in favor of operatic gusto, which is literally that that's him, man. That is him. Yeah. Walter White confirms that he is 24 hours ahead of us. He is he is a time traveler. Perhaps the simplest idea that explains Cage is that he is a sincere man in an ironic world. That's there's not an ironic or cynical bone in his body. Pig director Michael Sarnowski, Sar, Sarnowski told me. I mean, he, they interviewed everybody around Cage for this thing. Roger Ebert once wrote of his inner trembling, adding that he always seems so earnest, however implorable his character, he never winks at the audience. He's been telling us all along. Remember his Oscar speech? 
I know it's not hip to say he admitted clutching his golden statue, but I just love acting. Hmm. Nothing about him feels like an affection, not the Kung Fu. Uh, uh, sorry. Nothing about him feels like an affectation, not the Kung Fu suit, not the talking crow. He is a true eccentric holdout in the increasingly banal landscape of American celebrity. What a fantastically written sentence that was. He and it goes back to the question we said earlier, is he hamming it up for the Internet? Does he know that he's being eccentric? And here Gabriella says he is a true eccentric holdout in an increasingly banal landscape of American celebrity. You never see him posting on social media. That's true. Flashing flashing his veneers about a faux self-deprecating or inspirational caption or giving pithy sound bites on the red carpet. The man is physically incapable of pith. Oh, so great. He's such a nice man, such a good man. And I think he's also got so much misunderstanding. Face-off director John Woo said, some people even say he's so weird, but I don't think so. I think he's pretty normal. He just needs a friend. That's all. When talking with people who have worked with Cage in the past couple of decades, it more or less went the same way. Look, they would say, everybody always asked me for a crazy Nick Cage story, but on set, he's as conscientious and hardworking as you can get. He's deeply focused, unbearable weight director Tom Gormican said. He would, he would elliptical from 3 a.m. to 4.30 a.m. every morning and read the rest of the script and then send me a list of questions, thoughts, notes, and ideas for the day's scene work. The movie's co-writer, Kevin Etten, called him probably the hardest working actor I've ever witnessed. <laughs> that literally makes me so freaking happy to hear that. The dude wakes up from 3 a.m. to 4 a.m. every morning and reads the rest of the script. He sent me a, he sends questions, thoughts. I mean, what a dude. He's so cool. He's so awesome, dude. <laughs> I love this. This wasn't an, I thought this was going to be an interview. This was just a, like a profile. This is just a profile. Walter White says, I can't believe Nick Cage is Dracula, uh, same as Keanu Reeves and Francis Ford Coppola film, but I love that film. Gary Oldman is genius, so I must check it out. Yes. Yes. 100%. 100%. Oh, my God. I just My heart gushes hearing this about how hard he is, how hard a worker he is. He goes to time-consuming depths, which you don't often see as a director, David Gordon Green said. With him, it's like, what do you need and what are you doing on Sunday? Let's spend time. Let's talk about it. Green paused. And he's bringing his own knife to the steakhouse, which I think is very cool. You go out to have a steak with Nick and he unfolds this amazing hand carved knife to be his cutlery. He has a knife that he brings to steakhouses to cut his meat with. He's the coolest dude I've ever. He's so cool, dude. He's so cool. He has a knife that he carries around with him. Or is it like in a suitcase or something? God, that's how he stays so fit. He does the elliptical every morning. Look at him there. Look at him standing on top of this pile of dirt. It's so cool with the reflection. Great photos. This is absolutely an exquisite profile from GQ. And again, Gabriella, kudos. One other thing, one other thing, Cage, one thing Cage wants me to make sure you all know is that it wasn't the skulls that did him in. Look at that. He's getting real honest, especially not the $276,000 
Tyrannosaurus skull that he reportedly outbid Leonardo DiCaprio for and then agreed to turn over when the Department of Homeland Security informed him that it had been looted from Mongolia. That's amazing. So he re he returned the skull to Mongolia. I, it sounds like he might have even not maybe not had a choice, but he might have been able to fight it or at least have been difficult. And he didn't do that. Um, so it wasn't the, the skull that did him in. It was mostly bad real estate decisions. The grotesquely haunted La Lurie Mansion in New Orleans, the 16th century Schloss Needstein in Germany, the 18th century Midford Castle in England, the Grey Craig Estate in Rhode Island, Leaf K, Leaf K Island in the Bahamas, more mortgages than he could keep up with, and a bubble that burst on him, and everyone else too. I didn't believe in stocks because I think they're gambling and they're dangerous, but you, you can dump a stock. He says, reflecting on the 2008 crash, you can't get out of real estate that quickly. So he was, you know, and I've heard that like he had a bad money manager too, but like, so his logic is, Hey, I'd rather be, be staked in real estate instead of the stock market for whatever reason. And listen, Everybody, sensible people got hurt in 2008 as well from that crash. Well, so did Nicolas Cage. It makes sense. In 2009, here it is. In 2009, he sued his former business manager for allegedly leading him down a path toward financial ruin. So there you go. The money manager countered with a suit about how he couldn't control the actor's prolificate spending. Both seem, both suits seem pretty accurate because it sounds like Nick Cage was prolific in the spending. Both suits were reportedly dismissed the following year. Whatever the case, Cage owed the IRS. Wow. Okay, I did not realize this. He owed the IRS around fourteen million, and to other creditors, millions more. Holy hell! Though there was a period in Cage's life where he raked in twenty million a movie. He grew up only in the shadow of wealth. Before directing Cage in national treasure movies, John Turtalb uh, was a classmate of his at Beverly Hills High. That's crazy. <clears throat> he was a Beverly Hills outsider, he told me. He lived in an apartment with his dad, not in a house, and he didn't have that kind of rich patina. Patna, patina. In one sense, it worked out really well for him because it made him different and interesting but I think he also felt a little disconnected. The wealth was just out of reach at home as well. Cage would see his uncle Francis surrounded by opulence in Napa Valley and even lived with him for a stint. In old interviews, Cage compares himself to, to the scheming orphan Heathcliff in Weathering Heights. Oh God, he groans uh, when I bring it up now. Maybe I was fascinated by my uncle's lifestyle. My father was on a teacher's salary. I would be in that little house in Long Beach, which was still a great house. But but that notwithstanding, you could go from there and you'd see uncle's house. I didn't know what the cost of things were. I just liked what they looked like. So, I mean, it's like that's that classic thing of like I grew up with nothing. I grew into wealth and I wanted to have things. I wanted to have the stuff that my uncle had and it eventually got him in trouble. With I mean, these are human things, people like, you know, like people get like gave cage so much crap for this eventually he made enough money to buy the things he liked looking at he purchased a home for his dad in newport beach too it was like paradise we used to go have abalone abalone is that also a drink or is that what does that mean abalone 
abalone. Oh yeah, it's an edible mollusk, mollusk of the warm sea. So it was like a a shallow ear-shaped shell. So it's a shellfish. Abalone and martinis at 21 Oceanfront for lunch and talk, he says. I knew I gave him some happiness before he went. So I didn't realize that. So like Nick Cage is a Long Beach native. It's so cool. Things between them had been strained when Cage was younger, but they made their peace. We were best friends, he said. We had this great relationship for years. That's why I was so devastated when he left. He'd say, well, who's Nicholas going to talk to when I'm gone? So who did he talk to? He smiles. I tried talking to Francesco, but I don't know. I think I'm a little annoying. He's referring to his uncle, uh, Uncle FFC. Look at him there in his um now look that's like the hard boil i'd love to see nick cage just do like a, a like a noir you know that'd be really great here is this american american flag belt buckle leather dressed in leather again great looks white leather boots uh what followed in his father's footsteps and his financial ruin was a decade-long odyssey to do as many movies as possible for as much money as possible to pay his debts movies which sometimes had summaries that began john milton escapes from hell and steals satan's skull in the year in the year since going broke cage has appeared in 46 movies an experience he likens to a conveyor belt by comparison in that same time brad pitt made 19 tom cruise made 11 and leonardo DiCaprio made nine Cage appeared in 46 movies, nearly half of his filmography or sorry, 30% of his filmography in, in, uh, in a decade, I guess cage is matter of fact, when he speaks about how he went from headlining blockbusters to going straight to VOD, the phone stopped ringing. He says, it was like, what do you mean? We're not doing national treasure three. It's been 14 years. Why not? He would often get uh, a circuit circuit circuit. I can't say that it's circuit with us at the end circuitous. He would get a circuitous answer, meaning like a cylindrical, like round answer, circuitous answer. But he knew what the elephant in the room was. Well, Sorcerer's Apprentice didn't work. Well, Sorcerer's Apprentice didn't work. And Ghost Rider didn't really sell tickets and drive angry. That just came and went. Drive angry is, is a wild one. Alongside the downturn in his career, we started to see the cracks in his personal life. There were incidents of public drunkenness, his divorce from his wife of 12 years, the four-day marriage he subsequently entered into while intoxicated, the videos of him unwinding at karaoke after the ordeal, which were sold to TMZ. That was, that's sad. That is sad. The, the, that's the Purple Rain video. There was the there was much more that we didn't see, namely him grieving his father and trying to take care of his elderly mother. I've got all these creditors and the IRS and I'm spending 20 grand a month trying to keep my mother out of a mental institution. And I can't, he says it was just happening all at once. I mean, that's that is nuts. Cage was adamant that he would never file for bankruptcy, even when people kept telling him to press the button. And he wants to clear up a misconception about the work he took on to prevent that from happening. When I was doing four movies a year back to back to back, I still had to find something in them to be able to give it my all. I truly believe that, man. I believe that in the bottom of my balls. As someone who has watched so many of those VOD, because I watch, I'm on a quest to watch every single Nicolas Cage film out there. There's 120 something of them, and I've seen, 
I've seen about 53 or 54. I want to see every movie he's ever made. And it's true, man. As I said, he never, he, he Nicholas Cage, he's like tofu. He's going to taste like whatever you season him with. If you give, if you put him in a VOD, his performance is going to be VOD, but it's still going to be him. And it's still going to be him giving from the bottom of his balls, man. And, and I just, I believe that when he says, when he says this, when I was doing four movies a year, back to back to back, I still had to find something in them to be able to give it my all. He says, they didn't work, all of them. Some of them were terrific. He says, they didn't work, all of them. Some of them were terrific, like Mandy, but some of them didn't work, but I never phoned it in. So if there was a misconception, it was that, that I was just doing it and not caring. I was caring. So he always cared. And it's a perfect example is if you watch the VOD classic, A Score to Settle, you'll see Nick Cage about to blow somebody away as like a assassin or something. And he's totally just chewing on a beef stick. And there's no reason, no agency uh, for him to be chewing this beef stick. And yet there he is chewing it. And I have to believe that he went to that director and he said, I think my character would be chewing on this beef stick while I'm about to blow this guy away. And that's Nick Cage caring about the movie that he is in. You know what I mean? Like just stuff like that. Um, he never gave up, man. He didn't file for bankruptcy. I just, I just have so much respect for this dude. I really do. Um, and I love that he named the movie that he talks about Mandy, which worked, but you know, he doesn't mention the ones that didn't because that would be, you know, uh, ungentlemanly like and unprofessional. And Nick Cage seems to be a consummate professional. I even heard a story from Kat Dennings, who was like audition. Maybe it was Kat Dennings or some young actress who was doing an audition against Cage. Like there was this scene where he's supposed to rough up the, 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 the character that she's playing. And he had, she gave him permission. He had full license to do it. And like, there was something in him. He was like, he, he, he wouldn't do it. She had to do it herself. Um, he, he felt that it wasn't appropriate um, because of their age. I don't know. It was something. And I just thought it was just really cool. There was something really just tender about Nick Cage. Eventually, it added up. About a year and a half ago, he finished paying off all his debts. So he's been out of the hole for about a year and a half. But it was almost as if there was some kind of eerie Faustian bargain involved. The role that allowed him to write the big check to the IRS and finally be free and clear, it was the role of playing himself. So Cage had to play himself in order to finally pay off his debts. I mean, that in and of itself is a friggin' movie. I love that. I lo it just makes the movie that much more poetic, man. Um, we meet again on the rainy, we meet again on a rainy and dark evening in New Orleans. The staff at Antoine's, an old French quarter stalwart, buzz with palpable excitement as if welcoming a visiting dignitary. Right, yeah, the staff, they're bu they buzz with palpable excitement as if welming, welcoming a visiting dignitary. Cage enters practically gliding in, wearing an emerald green suede jacket and putting in an order for their baked Alaska before even sitting down because he wants me to try it. He seems to have such a penchant and passion for food too. He seems about five inches taller. He's in his element here, ready to hold court in a small private room with ruby red walls and a wine cellar. 
I remark by way of paying a compliment that I feel as if we're in the cask of a Montalato, which is my favorite Poe story. And that is something I'd love to see friggin' Cage do, the cask of a Montalato. And this is Cage's response. That story has crossed my mind more than a couple of times. When I visited my uncle at the winery, he jokes. <laughs> I love Nicholas Cage. He's in town doing pre-production work for Renfield, an upcoming monster movie directed by Chris McKay. He's playing Dracula for real this time. And he has an idea of who he'll be channeling because he always channels somebody. We talked about Woody Woodpecker, right? August Coppola's coming back, Cage says, and he's coming back as Dracula. So he's going to channel his old, his his deceased father as Dracula. Oh, there are ghosts everywhere. This is what happens when you have a history with a place. Cage has lived in New Orleans and filmed some of his most memorable movies here. Here's where he began to understand more of the romantic world, he says. This is a city that can have a dark side. It's very present. And the reality is we both know that I'm probably never really going to leave New Orleans. Wow. Well, yes, because of the tomb. I'm not going to talk about that, Cage says, drawing his hands up and smiling. I, I say I saw it for myself the day before, and he seems surprised, but nods. Well, you can talk about it. Um, Cage says, I'm just going to focus on being extremely selective, as selective as I can be. As I can be. I would like to make every movie as if it were my last. I love that attitude. Okay, here it goes. Ready? Here's the story. This is what Cage... This is what Nicolas Cage is going to do when he shuffles loose this mortal coil. When Cage ultimately passes, he will be buried in the historic St. Louis Cemetery Number 1, which is one of this country's most exclusive places to spend eternity. His tomb is a flawless white pyramid, about nine feet tall. On the afternoon I visit, the sun bathes it in golden light, illuminating the inscription, Omnia ab uno, Latin for everything from one. A crow flies overhead, beating its wings furiously as our tour guide hands it up. There are no real human remains in this tomb, merely the remains of his career. A yuck, yuck, yuck. Recently, someone... <clears throat> Recently, some of his work has been getting better, he admits in the next breath. I can't wait for the new one to come out where he plays himself. After we disperse 30 minutes later, I ask the guide for some local tomb gossip. He says the word around town is that the cemetery guard once saw it get struck by lightning. <clears throat> so, so he says the word around town is that a cemetery guard once saw it get struck by lightning. That Cage reportedly shelled out quarter of a million dollars, $250,000, and that the actor bought it to lift, lift a curse placed on him for purchasing the LaLaurie Mansion. What? To be clear, the guide adds, this is all a load of malarkey. <laughs> so he bought this, this tomb for him to lay to rest, to, 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 to get rid of the curse, to lift the curse placed on him for buying a haunted mansion in New Orleans. The tomb is held up as the conclusive example of his eccentricity, the ultimate example of Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage. But I want you to consider that he made the purchase in 2010 for $20,000. By the way, 
after everything started going downhill the year prior. So he actually only spent $20,000 and it wasn't a quarter million. It had nothing to do with the curse that his father had only recently died, that beneath every one of his enigmas is something much more straightforward and that he does at least say this much. I'm told that in uh, some parts of Asia, like Korea, that if you make plans in advance, that it actually means good luck and you'll have a healthy life. Also, it's just a wise thing to do to take pressure off your family. Who wants to be dealing with all that when someone's passed on? Interesting. It's understandable that he doesn't want to get into it, considering the other misconception top of mind tonight, such as the misconception that I'm crazy, which people seem to enjoy, the madman or whatever, to which I simply say you can't survive 43 years in Hollywood or star in over 120 movies if you're crazy. That's so true. You're not going to get bonded. He's right. They're not going to work with you, he says. You've got to be healthy, he adds. My doctor says I have the liver of a 13-year-old choir boy, you know. God bless. I hope I hope Nicolas Cage lives to be 120. God bless. Over dinner, he downs enough Diet Coke and black coffee to fill the Mississippi while exercising monk-like restraint around his char-broiled oysters and soft-shell crab. I love that he's in, he seems so into seafood, and I love that because – if if I if I got a chance to have dinner with Nicolas Cage, we would be eating. We would totally be having seafood and and coffee. He downs enough Diet Coke and black coffee to fill the Mississippi while exercising monk like restraint around his charboiled oysters and soft shell crab. He says, this isn't really on my diet right now. He says, sighing, I'm trying to become the thin white Duke for Dracula. Alcohol is completely off the table while while he's working. He goes, I have to focus, and it leads to anxiety, he said. It's so hard to retain the dialogue if you're doing that. How then does he account for his drunken incidents? It's like an eraser on a chalkboard, but it's a slippery slope because I don't drink often, he says. And when you do that, you're out of practice. Interesting. The marriages, too, have been somewhat... The marriages, too, have been some of the more salacious parts of the story in the public imagination. 27-year-old Shibata is his fifth wife. I am romantic, and when I'm in love, I want to give the person everything I can, he says. It's my expression of saying I love you, and I want to spend the rest of my life with you, and this is it for me. He shakes his head uh, and looks down at his plate, speaking to himself more than me. I mean, this is not happening again. This is it. This is it. He's thinking about a fresh start that he's been granted, about how he probably wouldn't have even done something like Pig, the performance that definitively broke his long spell of dismal reception, which he should have been nominated for an Oscar and was not such a such BS. If he had continued on the blockbuster path about how after more than 100 movies, That was the one where he finally felt fully seasoned. He remembers something an old friend would tell him. Sean Sean Connery used to always say, you have to know how to enter the room. And when you've entered the room, they notice, he says. In that movie, I thought I had entered the room. Cage wants to keep going with the indies. He says, I enjoy making movies like Pig and Leaving Las Vegas more than I enjoy making movies like National Treasure, he says. He waves any he waves away any suggestions that National Treasure 3 is happening. After I mentioned that Jerry Brockheimer told me they were developing something, 
when I talk about fair weather friends in Hollywood, I'm not talking about Jerry. I'm talking about Disney. He says they're like an ocean liner. Once they go in a certain direction, you've got to get a million tugboats to try and swivel it back around. He may reunite with his uncle for the first time since 1986. Peggy Sue got married. They're talking about a small role in Coppola's upcoming epic Megalopolis. That's supposedly Francis Ford Coppola is not supposedly ailing and he's sinking $120 million into this, his a dream movie that he's always wanted to make. And he's based, I mean, he's 85. He's in the, the, the twilight of his twilight years and on some level. And, you know, he's making this big epic. And I hope that Coppola is, I hope that, uh, Nick Cage is in it. I'm just going to focus on being extremely selective, as selective as I can be, he says. I would like to make every movie as if it were my last. Look at him. Look at him there in the white suit, gold chain, sprawling in the dirt. Death is certain, and he is prepared, but there is an opportunity now to rewrite his way out. His debts are paid. His career has re-railed. He has remarried and is welcoming new life, but he still keeps his past close. He and Shibata wed on his father's birthday. When they finally take their honeymoon, it will be to Venice. And the reason why involves yet another great Nicolas Cage story. His father always wanted his ashes scattered in the Grand Canal. Cage used to own a yacht, so it would have been a relatively easy task. But he had to sell it before August died. Soon after his father passes, Cage starts having these reoccurring dreams of August playing kick the can in the street. Cage takes this as a sign. His father is waiting and waiting in the afterlife for his son to fulfill his promise. So he secures the box with his ashes and goes to the airport. Now I'm like a live wire, he says. I don't want anything to go wrong. I've got to accomplish this, and I'm in full-on grief. The box with his father's ashes is going through airport security at LAX, and they're pulling him aside to inspect it. And he's insisting, no, it's my dad. It's not a bomb. It's my dad. He finally gets through and catches a plane to Frankfurt. When he lands there, he meets a helpful airport employee and captures a glimpse at her name tag, Savannah. Savannah, that's where his dad was living before he moved back to California. Okay, he thinks. Maybe he's trying to say something to me. And Savannah gets him on this tiny prop plane to Venice. The whole time I say, I feel like he's talking to me, almost like a radio. He lands and boards a water taxi, and he can finally breathe a little as he and his dad float down the centuries-old canal. And now it's midnight, and it's a full moon, and it's Halloween. I love how they save the fact that it's Halloween for the last friggin' part of the this this thing. That's the that I mean, come on, man. <laughs> And Halloween is when the the veil between realms is thinnest, where the where the dead and the living can commingle. He says, and I'm pouring his ashes in the water, and then all the church bells start ringing at the same time. Life, death, rebirth, everything from one, which is that that saying that's on his giant white pyramid uh, in Latin. Look at Cage here; he's wearing some leopard pants with a looks like a crushed velvet blazer standing in a weird yard. I love how he just randomly standing at this construction site, some cool shadow play in the reflective water. There's his water reflection. And then there's the reflection from the sun. This is actually a really, really cool photograph. 
Um, I'll get to comments in a minute, guys. We're just at the tail end. Oh, that's it. That's the end. That's the end of the story. Wow. And here is Nick Cage. This is some video footage of him from the shoot. There's the snake he's holding. Look at him, man. All hail the king. The king that is Cage. He looks so cool, man. Look at him screaming. Oh, God. What a what a champion. What a champion if there ever was one. Um, this was a really well-written thing. This is, again, this is by Gabriella Paella. Paella. Um, she's a GQ staff writer. And she just, man, what a privilege to get to, like, you know, unravel the onion that is Nick Cage. Full of layers, right? Uh, look at him. So great. So great in this. Then we're watching like this weird little like behind the scenes clip thing. Okay. That brings us to the end. Let's just take a quick look. See at our comments section here. Um, Walter White says raising Arizona was let's fix that out too. Okay. He says was a change in my film appreciation along with Rumblefish, which is Francis Ford Coppola. I have never seen Red Rock West. That's on my, that's in my queue. Um, I didn't know Dennis Hopper. He acted, so he got to act with Dennis Hopper. I've heard that, uh, what's that, Deadfall is is supposedly a really crazy cage role that I've not seen yet. Yes, I know about this. He he bought a bunch of crystals. Uh, oh, no, no, never mind. I'm think, I thought, thinking of Ghost Rider. He bought a bunch of crystals at this shop when he was in Portland for Pig. Hmm. And yes, you are right, Thalia. Um, Nick was the one that got Johnny Depp into acting. He got him his role in A Nightmare on Elm Street. How about that? Uh, I hope you enjoyed our, our cage-centric conversation tonight. If it's your first time on this channel or you are not, um, you, you don't normally check out our channel, please please consider subscribing. We, we cover all sorts of stuff here, and this has just been another fantastic episode, and I'll see you all real soon. I must retire now, and I don't know if you know about the Patreon. I'm going to tell you peace and hair grease, and let's learn about the Patreon, shall we? Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. So I've decided to make a Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know how to define a Patreon. Let me look it up. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full-time. I want this to be my full-time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it gonna be successful? I don't know, but I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full-time, uninterrupted. Why? Because I love to do this. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love shooting films. I love doing podcasts. In case you couldn't tell, I love to talk and I never shut the fuck up. <laughs> so right now I've kept the Patreon incredibly simple. There's two tiers and that may change in the future. The Murdergram is a simple way to extend support for all of the hours and hours of free content on the channel for nothing more than a dollar. 38 cents goes to Patreon. What's a buck 38, eh? It's less than a cup of coffee, but it's a great way that you can show support for very little effort. When you divide that dollar 38 by the hours and hours and hours of time spent listening to this 
endless drivel of content, the dollar cost average works out. Next up is the YouTube casualty for $6.66. The YouTube casualty is loaded to the gills. Enjoy the archive ad-free as well as ad-free early access to special docu-style podcast videos, music reaction commentaries, and the like a month before they drop on YouTube, loaded with ads, I might add. You're also going to get exclusive content and behind-the-scenes content that is not available on YouTube or anywhere else. So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just want to thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates that subscribes, that's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED Talk. Join the Patreon, because we need you! 66 cents.